Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, we talk about joy and the joy in the silence. Let's listen. So I'm wondering, who is sending out Christmas cards this year? I know that can be a fun tradition, but it also comes with some pressure, doesn't it? Some pressure to pick just the right photo. And, and those right photos are hard to get. Now, if that's where you're at and you're thinking, I don't know if we're going to get it out before Christmas or New Year's or Valentine's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I, I want to give you some Christmas cards that did not go as planned so you also feel like eh, you're in the bunch of those. So the, the first one I want to describe for you before you see it. I think the parents were wanting to do a, a double, you know, Christmas card and birth announcement. But what they didn't expect was the reaction of the soon-to-be older sibling. So let's go ahead and show that Christmas card. How do you think he feels? It says, Santa isn't the only one coming to town. Baby sister due April 2020, and, and that's the look. And I think that's a very authentic look for him to be saying, I don't know. I was not asked. I didn't give permission. I don't know how I feel about this. Or, okay, this next one, I want you to figure out what is happening in the photo, because it is not a staged photo. Instead, what happened was they set the timer to go on the camera, the husband rushed over, and then this was the, the picture that was captured. All right, let's go ahead and show it. So what's happening in this photo? You, you've got the mom lying down, and both the daughter and the dog look kind of concerned with her. You've got the dad who seems kind of ashamed about something. Yeah. Here's the caption, and the caption was written by the mom. She says, the timer caught the second after my husband rushed over, sat, and crushed my foot. <laughs> you can see it, can't you? You can see it. And this last one, there's going to be three people, uh, three siblings, I think, and I don't know what the middle child did to the dogs, but see if you can come up with your own theory. Let's go ahead and show that one. Oh my. I don't know if that's joy or just being terrified, the look in his eyes, but... I would send that card to all of my friends. That, I'd be so proud of that one. So have no fear if your Christmas season isn't quite turning out as you planned it. Because let's face it, none of them do. None of our seasons come out quite like we hope they will. We have our ideas as Thanksgiving rolls around and we say, okay, this, this is what Christmas is going to look like. But then the reality of it doesn't always fit, and that's okay. Because we're going to study a story from Scripture today about the first Christmas, and we're going to find that not everything went as planned on that first Christmas either. So today I'd like to introduce you to two characters named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they are normal people living in a small town outside of Jerusalem. And their names probably would have been lost to history, except for the fact that Luke 
the author of our gospel this morning, decides to begin his gospel with them. Now, that's unusual. Uh, Mark and John, for instance, begin the gospel talking about Jesus. Right at the beginning, they say, we're talking about Jesus and who he is and what he means to the world. But Luke doesn't do that. Luke takes us a couple steps backwards in the story and says, we need to start with these two little-known people named Zechariah and Elizabeth, because their story helps everybody prepare to hear the story of Jesus. And so that's my hope for you this morning, is that the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth helps you prepare your heart on this third Sunday in Advent for hearing the good news of Jesus born into our world once again. It begins in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. Okay, a little bit of history for you. At the end of the Old Testament, you've got around 12, 15 books of the prophets. So the prophets were those that God chose to speak to the people on God's behalf. They were mouthpieces for God. And the very last prophet in the Old Testament is Malachi. So if you open your Old Testament today and you go to the very last book, you'll find Malachi. And Malachi speaks to the people— And then after Malachi, nothing. Between the Old and the New Testament, you have 400 years of silence, of God not speaking to his people through a prophet. How do you think that must have felt to be in that gap between the Old and the New Testaments? Would you feel like, well, is God still speaking? Is God still here? Does God still care about me? Because I, I know my ancestors heard from God. I know my descendants did, but, but I haven't. And so you fast forward those 400 years to come to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I find it so astounding that Luke describes them as people who are seeking to live righteously and blamelessly before God. Do you think that would have been challenging to keep the faith after so many years of silence. Well, what we're going to find out is that in our story today, for the first time in 400 years, God decides to speak again. Let's continue getting to know Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're told in the next verse that they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as a priest before God, and his section was on duty. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Okay, so all of the priests during this time in history were broken up into 24 groupings, and twice a year, For one week each time, one of those groupings 
would go from wherever their town was, and they would travel to the capital city of Jerusalem. And during that week, they would serve in the temple itself. And then one priest from that grouping would be randomly chosen. They were chosen by lot to be able to represent all the priests in the actual center of the temple, what they called the Holy of Holies. In this time period, they believed that that's where the very presence of God resided. So this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the priests to get chosen to offer prayers and incense on behalf of all the people of God in the Holy of Holies. And this just happens to be the year that Zechariah is chosen. Zechariah gets to go into the center of the temple. Zechariah gets to offer prayers and incense on behalf of the people of God. And so he goes in to the center of the temple, and something so unexpected, so outside the realm of possibility happens to him when he enters that space. Here's the next verse. It says, Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. This had to have been the last thing that Zechariah was expecting. Uh, This would be like you coming to church this morning, and you were thinking, this is going to be a normal Sunday, just like any Sunday. And you come in the sanctuary, you sit down in the pew, and then to your right is an angel. That is how unexpected that would have been. And so Zechariah enters. He's preparing to light the incense, but standing right by the incense table is this angel. How will Zechariah respond? Well, I think he responds like any of us would respond if we were in his shoes. We're told when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. Yes, seeing an angel overwhelms him with fear. And of course it does. Okay, be honest. When you think of an angel, you think of something like this, don't you? You need to discard this from your mind. I can guarantee you this is not how angels look. So, so get rid of that, and instead, picture when Zechariah enters the temple, what he's seeing in front of him is a divine figure. But he knows this figure is not human, and it's something that his mind simply cannot comprehend. And so the fear center in his brain kicks into overdrive, and we're told he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed with fear at seeing this divine figure in his presence. And that's all before the angel even opened its mouth. Now, did you know that the literal meaning of the word angel in Greek is messenger? That's a galos, and a galos means messenger. So when you see angel in the Bible, what it means is messenger. And there's a reason for that. It's because every time you see an angel in Scripture, they have a job to do. They are delivering a divine message from God every single time. And so what we need to pay attention to is not so much the presence of the angel, but the message that the angel brings to that person 
Because that's a message that God specifically is sending the angel, the messenger, to bring to that person. And so what we need to really kind of lean in and pay attention to are the angel's words. Because the angel's words deliver a message to Zechariah that is of utmost importance, both for him and for us. We're going to read it in part because it's a long message, but I invite you uh, at home, go read all of Luke chapter 1. It is a beautiful verse or passage. Here's the beginning of the message. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I want to focus on those beginning words, that beginning sentence, do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. Well, what prayer is that? What was Zechariah praying for? And And really, there's a dual purpose here, because Zechariah had two prayers. One, he had been praying for a child, and this prayer is answered. We're told that they will have a son, and they are going to name him John, although we generally refer to him as John the Baptist. Yes, when he grows up, he becomes John the Baptist, and we call him that because baptizing is one of the central parts of his ministry. But John the Baptist goes on to help prepare the rest of the world for the coming of Jesus. And so that's one part of the prayer that is answered, fulfilled. But there's another part too, because Zechariah had also been praying for the restoration of his people. Yes, those 400 years of silence were tough on the people of Israel. Uh, They went from being occupied by one country to another to another. And when Luke writes, they're now occupied by the Romans. Yes, they have had a challenging time as the people of God. So Zechariah had also been praying, been yearning that God would send them a Savior, that God would send them a Messiah, someone that can rescue them from their situation. Yes, he was praying for a son, But he was also praying for justice to come to his people. He was praying for salvation. And it is this prayer, too, that is being answered here. Because John the Baptist comes and prepares the way for the Messiah. Prepares the way for Jesus, the one who will save the world. So I wonder, how will Zechariah respond to this really really good news of having both of his prayers answered. Maybe not in the way you expect. It says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. He doubts. He is unsure if God is actually able to accomplish what God is promising to accomplish here. But notice, he is not doubting that God will answer both of his prayers. There's only one prayer that he's really doubting God's ability to answer. And it's the prayer of him being chosen to have a son. Did you notice that? He said, how can I believe this? Because I'm an old man. I know my limitations. 
I, I know that life has passed me by in many ways, and my wife, too, is advanced in years, and so he doubts whether God is able or willing to use himself and his wife in this divine story that God is writing. He does not doubt that God will send a Messiah, that God will save the world through Jesus, but he doubts that he is worthy or capable to be used by God as a part of that story. I wonder, how often do we believe that God is going to work in the world, but we doubt God will use us to accomplish any of that work? How often do we wonder if we are worthy or capable enough to be used by God? But guess what? God uses people in his story, and none of God's people are perfect. None of them. And that includes us. All of us can probably create a list that's a hundred deep saying these are reasons why God shouldn't pick me if God is going to do something active in the world. But God sends the angel to Zechariah regardless of his limitations, regardless of the way that he perceives himself as unworthy to be used by God. God sends the angel anyway. Because really, he just expects Zechariah to be willing, to be willing to be used by God. And I believe that's the same for us. God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but God does expect us to be willing, to be used for God's purposes. Well, unfortunately for Zechariah, the angel is not too pleased with his response of doubt. I find the angel's response to be really fascinating. Here's what the angel says. It says, Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Again, to send the message, be the messenger. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So 400 years of silence was broken by Gabriel speaking God's message to Zechariah, but now it appears that that silence is going to extend a little bit longer, maybe another nine months or so. Zechariah will not be able to speak until his son John is born. Now, do you see a theme emerging in the text this morning? I think it's the theme of silence. What we're told in these stories is that silence does not mean that God is not working. Now, you may have a time in your life where, where you are praying and you don't feel like God is hearing you. You don't feel like God is listening. God is not acting on your behalf. But what this story is encouraging us to understand is during those times of silence, we must never assume that God is not listening. God is very much present, even in the silence. Maybe you're in one of those times right now where you've been praying to God, and you have felt that God has heard your prayers for many, many years, but all of a sudden you're in a patch. You're in a, a stage of your life, and you're saying, God, where are you? God, I don't feel you. I, I don't know your presence as well as I used to. But if that's true for you, 
I encourage you to, to put yourself in this story where God is always present and God is always listening, even in those times of silence. And sometimes that silence is forced upon a person. As it is in Zechariah's story, he is going to be given nine months to contemplate the events that happened in his life, to think about Gabriel's message. But you know what? I bet those nine months were good for him. Challenging, to be sure, but good too. Because you do not need to be able to speak verbally to be able to speak to God. And so those months gave him a unique opportunity to talk with God, to connect with God in a really unique and different way. Now, if you continue to read chapter 1 of Luke, what you'll find out is that the months of silence and prayer must have paid off because Zechariah's heart is changed by the time his son John is born. So we're going to conclude by fast-forwarding to nine months later when John is finally born. And when they give him the name John, Zechariah's mouth is suddenly opened. He is free to speak again. What do you think the first words out of his mouth will be? If you couldn't speak for nine months, what would be the first thing you would say? What would you have been holding in that you finally can express? Well, after nine long months of talking with God, of communing with God, the first thing Zechariah wants to say is something to prepare us for coming, the coming of Jesus in the world. So, I would like us, this Advent season, as we hear these words, to use them in the same way. I want these words about the coming of Jesus to help prepare your heart this Advent season. And as we read Zechariah's words, let them be like we're hearing them from his very lips. Zechariah says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. What did you hear? about the purpose of Jesus coming? In other words, what did you hear about the true meaning of Christmas? I heard that it is Jesus who will give us the knowledge of salvation. I heard that it is Jesus who will give us the forgiveness of sin. I heard that for those living in a land of darkness, Jesus will bring light, and that light will be used to guide our feet on a path of peace. That's what I heard, and that's what I needed to hear this Christmas, because this season will not be perfect. Your Christmas cards may not turn out. A family member might get sick at the most inopportune time. You may feel more stressed than blessed, and if any of this resonates with you, I encourage you to pursue a time of silence 
this Christmas season and use that time to talk with God because God is listening and contemplate the true meaning of Jesus' birth, which is salvation, which is forgiveness, and which is placing us on the path of peace. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.